Good design is good business, but great design can be a game changer. Whether you need a new company logo, dynamic presentation decks, or want to bring a Winwood-style mural to your corporate office or event, Thunderous Genius will exceed all of your expectations. The Thunderous team has worked with your favorite sports franchises, athletes, and entertainers, and can't wait to bring that perfect blend of creativity and structure to you as well. So contact them at thunderousgenius.com. Say that the fish tank sent you and receive a 50% discount off your first project. Half off! So what are you waiting for? It's time to get Thunderous. And now, on to the show. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one. one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, never been that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Seth Levitt with OJ McDuffie in the Fish Tank Studios. Juice, what's happening today? What is up, Big Seth? I'm pumped today. You know I am too. Uh, You know, we've had great (laughs) guests, and and we teased folks a little bit with Tony Eggles, who did an amazing job and showed that you didn't just have to play football for the Dolphins to have great stories. But we are taking it to another level today. I'm not going to say like J. Edgar Hoover level just because J. Edgar Hoover is not necessarily a great guy, and this guy is. But you want to talk I don't know. about I don't know much about J. Edgar Hoover. That, well, he didn't want you to know. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Okay, right. But well, you want to talk about a guy who has the dirt, who knows where the bodies are buried. In fact, if you're listening, he's probably got a file on you. That's right. Please welcome longtime legendary Director of Security for the Miami Dolphins, Stu Weinstein. Stu, what's happening? Good morning. So good to have you here, Stu. We've he's probably been in every podcast we've talked about. Stu's name has come up. Not one podcast has gone by where there's not a mention of Stu, and that just tells you because he's been around through so many different players, coaches, people that work personnel for the for the Dolphins. And you know what though, he's also been a part of everybody's life personally because he's that's what kind of guy Stu is. But yeah, every single podcast we've had. There's been a mission of, of Mr. Weinstein. And rightfully so. So, Stu, first and foremost, congratulations on your retirement. Well, thank you. It, I actually, my original plan was to, to finish off this season and then retire at the end of the season. But, you know, truthfully, the, the guy that, that I recommended that the Dolphins hire, Drew Brooks, who who was a, a longtime Pembroke Pines detective and, and actually worked with us as, as what we call our Leos for 12 years. He, he's got this thing under control. He's actually, I hate to admit this, but he's actually taking this to a, a higher level than I was able to take it to. Yeah, don't admit that, Stu. Yeah. You don't have to say well, that. It, no, but it, Drew's it, great. It's, it's the truth. He's been great. And, I mean, frankly, I just, I'm just not needed. And, and you know, again, the, could have stayed for the till the end of the season and, and probably on beyond that. But, but again, uh, I guess my career, my, my 33 and a half, 34-year career has been so much about, you know, being needed and being available. And, and now the way Drew's rolling, I'm just not. So it was probably the right time to leave. I think he, I think you should come to our side, Stu, because I still call on you all the time for any <laughs> right. and everything. Just come to the well, retirement. We do the same side. for the foundation. I know please. anything. If I need anything, Stu's my man, man that I call for absolutely anything. He's got all the connections. He knows everybody in South Florida, but he's also always there to answer. He always answers the call, Seth. Well, you know, Nat Moore put together a, a, a bunch of the alumni and they, they threw a party for me a couple, couple weeks ago. And I told them at the, I told them at the party and, and I've told everyone that, that's, you know, reached out to me. We're not going anywhere. Renee and I are staying here. And, and, you know, I was, I was basically raised here. She was raised here and, and I plan to be buried here. So, so I'm here. And, and again, any, any, anyone, any alumni or, or anyone need, needs anything. 
again, I still have the same contacts, and I'm, I'm more than willing to help. And uh, does that surprise you at all? No, okay? not Th- at all. Me either. Not at all. But let me tell you what, speaking of that party, just a side note. So I got the call from Nat, and I was like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I knew the party was happening because OJ said he That's was right. going. I got excited. I thought I was getting invited. He said, hey, make sure JT knows. <laughs> the said, what the hell? But, but it's okay. You know, it, was, uh, it was a great group of guys. It looked like you guys had a great time. Yeah, no, I did. I, it, it was great. I mean, some of the guys I, I see you know, on, a, on a fairly regular basis, some I don't. And it was just a great night of, of reflection. If, if it, it probably would have been a weekend, it probably would have gone on till the next morning, but it happened to be on a Thursday night. And, and I didn't have to get up the next day, but some of the people there had to get up the next day and go to work. And probably one of two or three times in your life that they actually were able to surprise you because you just can't put one past Stu. No, so I let's, was, yeah, you said 34 years, Stu. Let's take it back for a second. Talk to us about how that happened. How do you end up? becoming the head of security for one of the storied franchises in the NFL? Well, what happened is this. Um, uh, as I said, I, I grew up down here. Um, I played high school football in Miami, New Orleans, not too successfully. I was a, you know, I was a mediocre one-year starter as an offensive tackle. Was expecting scholarships to come rolling in. None did. Didn't happen. Didn't, didn't happen. <laughs> so I ended up, I ended up going to Dade. I went to Florida Atlantic. And, uh, when I graduated, I, I was going to get drafted. Unfortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, uh, by the NFL. It was a military draft. And so my plan was to go to law school. I figured I'd go ahead, fulfill my military obligation. And then use that to go to law school. Well, I, I actually got a blessing. My blood pressure was too high. Mm. I was called back three times. Each time they told me they couldn't take me. And in the meantime, I'd gotten out in the world and I started working as an investigator and uh, decided to you know, forget about law school and just, just be a, a private investigator. So I did that for 17 years. I worked with uh, Ed Dubois who was the uh, NFL security rep for 49 years. And uh, my last uh, two of the last three years I worked with Ed, the Dolphins went to uh, Super Bowls. They went to Super Bowl 17 and Super Bowl 19, and we went with them. What, what the setup with the NFL security at the time was, well, actually, it's still the same setup. You basically have an area you cover, which ours was South Florida, and if your team has success and goes to a Super Bowl, or if your stadium hosts a Super Bowl, you work. Mm. So we went with the Dolphins, as I say, to California twice. And after Super Bowl 19, about a, about a month later, I get a call from Don Shula, and he says he you know, has to talk to me about something confidential. So I went over to St. Thomas and he told me, he said, if I can get Joe Robbie to agree, would you be willing to come work for the Dolphins? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, at the time, I mean, the, again, the team had been to two out of the last three Super Bowls. I wasn't planning on making this a career, but I figured I'd get in there and, you know, grab a couple Super Bowl rings. Get and, some hardware right, and get right. out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> you know, enjoy some success that, that uh, you know, the years that I, that I played football in, in high school and and for many years I coached and played men's slow pitch softball you know I always seemed to be on teams that were right there but could never quite win a championship and and I'm thinking this is a chance for me to to get get with a group that, that's going to be a champion and unfortunately uh, you know my first year we got to the AFC championship game home game against the Patriots we lost and and then we got back again uh, uh, in 1992 and again, got to the AFC Championship game at home against Buffalo and lost. So that's that's the closest I came. But but again, listen, uh, it, it was a great opportunity. I, I was able to you know to convince Joe Robbie that that the need was there, and and he you know he agreed to hire me. And again, uh, I was able to last for. 33 and a half years. Stu, at that point, how many teams had a, a director of security like when, that at when that I, point? When I started, there were four teams that had, uh, that had actually had in-house security. The Browns, the, uh, the Oilers, the Cowboys, 
and the Packers. And now, I mean, it's a, you know, it's pretty much a prerequisite. Every, every team has at least, at least one guy. And what was the role of the in-house security at that point? I mean, if, if all the teams didn't have it and pretty much nobody had it before that, what, were, what was, how, the, how was that handled at that the, point? The majority of the teams leaned on their NFL security rep. The problem is, is, is that he's not around all the right. time. And, uh, uh, basically, I mean, there was really nobody in the Dolphins organization that could draw up a operating policy for me. So I really kind of had to do it on my own. Which I did. I, I just I figured out the areas I could help, and and what I decided was to to be able to gain the players' trust. I had to be more than just a security guy or, or a security investigator. I, I had to be able to you know be available to to assist the players, and you know basically that that's what I did. I just I made sure that no favor was was. Uh, beneath me or no no task was beneath me and then i extended it to obviously to the coaching staff and basically to anybody that worked for the dolphins it's interesting too when you say that Stu, because when when you did retire and all of us our phones started blowing up with the text hey did you hear Stu? did you hear Stu?" and zach texted me and i was talking to trace armstrong and he said Stu weinstein was a security director who players loved that's unheard of because normally I think the perception is it's the narc, it's the guy who's looking out for the play, you know, watching the players doing something bad to go back and report to management. And you had a responsibility to management, but it's like you said, guys loved you and they knew they could count on you. Well, what, what I decided early on, and, and, and I cleared this with Coach Shula because I basically reported to him and Joe Robbie. I mean, and, and I actually cleared it with both of them. Is I said, look, if something comes up that's it, not going to be a blemish on the shield, you guys aren't going to know about it. If and now understand this, this is back in the pre-social media days, right. where things could happen and not necessarily, you know, be out in the public. Obviously, if something happens that were there may be a blemish on the shield, sure. And and I tell the player, I'm going to have to report this. But I think that's how I was able to get the player's trust. Mm-hmm. And 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 frankly, that's why Drew Brooks will be successful. And and you'll be talking to him 33 and a half years from now because <laughs> he's the same way. He could be a hell of an episode. He, he he gets it. He understands that that again. You're listen. The product is the player. I, I mean, no one has ever paid. Maybe when my mother and, and father were alive, they might have paid to come see me do something. But no one is going to come out to pay any money at all to come see Stu Weinstein stand on the sidelines and run off the field with a coach. I mean, the players are the product. And, and again, the players are the ones you have to be there for. You know, Stu, I, you and I are pretty much the same in terms of we came in under Coach Shula, one of the greatest coaches ever, the greatest NFL coach, uh, hands down. It had to be tough at times. It had to be a lot of fun at times. I know you talk about some of your responsibilities with him, but there had to be some great stories that came along with being the, the guy, the right-hand man, the guy that's right beside Coach Shula. Do you have great stories like well, that? Well, my, my first year, it was probably about week eight or nine. And this, this Super Bowl ring that I thought I was going to get, we're, <laughs> we're now sitting at five and four. And and I, I don't think we we're even in first place. I think we were actually either trailing the Jets or the Patriots. And uh, we're playing the Jets at home. And frankly, if we lose this game, I don't think we're going to make the playoffs. So we're, we're it's it's one of these, uh, you know, typical late October, early November games. It's 150 degrees out. We're battling the Jets who had beaten us up there on a Monday night about three or four weeks before. And things aren't looking good. And as he did hundreds of times in his career, Dan Marino leads us down the field, throws a, a, a touchdown pass to Mark Duper, who, as he did 100 times in his career, 
makes this unbelievable catch, and we end up beating the Jets. So we, I think we beat them twenty-one to seventeen. So now we're in the in the cramp locker room of, of the Orange Bowl after the game, and I'm drenched. And, and you know, understand this now: you know, the players, the coaches, the staff, they come to the stadium dressed change, go on the field, come in, take a shower, change and go home or if we're on the road, fly back. I couldn't do that because my my fear was while I'm in there taking a shower, someone's going to come in the locker room that's not supposed to be there. So right. the way I came to the stadium or the way I came to the stadium on the road is how I went home. So I'm standing there just drenched in sweat. Cochula's sitting there. He hasn't even he hasn't even changed yet, just exhausted from the game. And in walks Don Johnson. And of course, Don Johnson <laughs> at the time is one of the co-stars of Miami Vice, which at the time, if not the most popular show in the country, is certainly the most popular show in Florida. Yeah, it was a in, national hit. Yeah. Tubs. That's Crockin I was watching in Ohio. Absolutely. So, so he comes in, he comes in with his entourage, and uh Bobby Monica, our equipment manager, you know, knew him and brings him over to introduce him to Cochula. Bobby had been on the show, I think. I think he Bobby had, had been on the show. I think Bobby did play. Tony learned it from somewhere. Yeah. So uh, he comes over, brings him over, and and introduces him to Cochula. Cochula sitting down, looks up at him, and when Bobby tells him he's with Miami Vice, Cochula tells him he says, "Well, you know, keep up the good work out there. You guys do a great job." <laughs> I had no clue. So, so there, there's a a uh, kind of an uncomfortable hushed silence. <laughs> so so Bobby jumps in and says, "Coach," he said, "No, no." He said, "You don't understand." He said, "Don Johnson's with Miami Vice. He he's an actor with Miami Vice." And Cochula looks up again and without using bad language, which I promised my wife I wouldn't do on the show. <laughs> we'll, we'll take up for you on that one there. Um, so we'll he, make sure he, we cover uh, it. looks up and says, Monica, he said, I know what an effing vice cop does. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> now, now, Don Johnson was shocked. So I mean, awkward. he couldn't believe that someone didn't know. Who right. He figured was. everybody in the world knew who he was. So at that his point. head's down and he kind of limps out with his entourage. <laughs> Cochula takes a shower. We're, we're the last two guys out of the locker room. We go up to get his wife. And on the way up the elevator, I said to him, I said, coach, I said, do you have any idea who that guy was? And I explained to him who John Johnson is and the show and all that. And the only thing he could, the only answer he had was that if the show was on Friday night, which it was, that was date night for him and his wife. And he didn't never watch the show. <laughs> that was it. We get up to get her. And she was appalled that he didn't know who, because she did. She certainly knew who So was. she was thinking about something else right. on date night, apparently, because she knew exactly <laughs> yeah, who Don Chula was. He was like, like most of these head coaches, all the head coaches I've worked for, you know, these guys are all football. I mean, that's yeah. how they got there. And that, and that's kind of what they did. The other story I can tell was actually during the off season, Coach Shula and myself and his wife go to watch a Marlins game and uh, we're sitting in their suite and word comes down that uh, Wayne Heisinger, uh, who had, at this time had bought the team and also owned the Marlins, had the first president Bush at the stadium as his guest. And he's sitting in the kind of in the founders area, which is down on the field. So I go down there to see about getting President Bush to come up to Coach Shula's suite. And, and the Secret Service guys tell me they can't do that because they hadn't walk the route and it might it might be a you know whatever so i go back up this is national to get, security <laughs> to try to get Cochula to come down to meet with president bush yeah. and he wants president bush to come up <laughs> and and between the two of them they they never they never hooked up <laughs> That's right. It was just a big game of chicken and nobody was going to give. More than that, the Pope comes in town. And this is <laughs> this is during a training camp. And Coach Shula gets invited to a mass, which was at the Archdiocese, which is probably about, I guess, maybe 15, 20 minutes away from training camp. It's still at St. Thomas. And Coach Shula, of course, again, it's in training camp. So he's not he's not about to leave training camp to go visit with anybody. So he tells me to call over there and see if the Pope will stop by. <laughs> on a, on a, which, of course, again, for security reasons, couldn't, couldn't get 
didn't work. So did you make that call? Yeah, hey, this is no, who I see no, with the golf. I, I went back and told him I did, but I didn't. I didn't. Make Coach was wondering if the Pope can make a no, stop I by press. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Make you think Coach is out there waiting? Like uh, the Pope's going to be here in any minute now. Yeah, he's, he's going to be he's checking his clock. But but again, as OJ said, it wasn't. He wasn't always the most fun guy to be around. But but he you know he was fair. He he was even keeled. And and honestly, I think the reason he lasted as long as he did, you got to remember, he started coaching with the Colts in 1963. It's incredible. So 19. 63 would add that up to 1995 the, because again he he was the same after a win as he was after a loss i mean he he you know there were mistakes made he wanted the mistakes corrected and you know again i think that's why he was why he was as successful as he was and coached the only undefeated team you know also remember this Seth. also remember Stu. I, I saw you and coach shula running together all the time i mean you guys ran just as much as we did it seemed like at times yeah I mean, we we would go after practice again we started at st thomas and then we we moved it over to uh when we were at day Actually, at St. Thomas, we would go. We would go inside the St. Thomas complex. In Davy, we would have to go on around the field a hundred times. So we actually went outside on the street, and that was a little. I, I get a little nervous about that because you know people would always stop. And, and again, this is before nine eleven. I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about someone you know firing a, a round off at us or anything like that. But I mean, you know, we just people would want to stop and get his autograph, and and you know, I'd kind of have to deal with that. Speaking of running with coach, and you mentioned you alluded to this earlier, running off. You know, people might see on TV running off the field with the head coach. I've always wondered, is that just a matter of practice or do you really, are you looking around head on a swivel? Oh, no. Do you think someone's going to come sucker punch the no, coach? I'm, like what? I, well, actually that happened up in Buffalo one year. We, we, uh, uh, lost a, a late season game up there, uh, during the regular season. I, I think it was, a, it was, it didn't knock us out of the playoffs, but it meant we were going to be a wild card team. And a, a guy did come on the field. Uh, really? Well, the, they lost the field. A lot of fans came on the field. They rushed the field. Okay. And this one guy, I warned him a couple of times as we were jogging, I, you know, to kind of get away from Coach Shula and, and the guy got a little bit too close, and I actually did hit the guy. And a little forearm about, shiver. Kind of felt bad about it later. but uh, Doing I your actually, job, though. Yeah, that's but what no, you're there what for. What I would do is I'd run the coach off the field, and then I'd go back, and I'd make sure all the players – initially I did this by myself, but after a while – I started traveling with what we call the Leos, which Drew Brooks was one of. Yep. And they, they would certainly assist with that. Now, I remember you guys would come back out because uh, our job on the field was every coach that – so I, I started with Jimmy, and then Dave carried the same policies. But we didn't want people interviewing the players coming off the field unless it was the network and it had been pre-approved because the coaches wanted everybody in the locker room. You know, the coaches want to go ahead and speak to the team and say what they've got to say. So I would be out there pulling cameras away, and then you guys and the Leos would be, be filtering yeah, everybody and, and in. If a player did have to stay out there for a network, say, you know, OJ had a one of his typical games, and, and now the networks want to interview him after the game. I'd make sure either I'd stay out there or somebody else would stay out there with the player. So Coach Shula wasn't the only icon with the team when you started. Uh, there was another guy, and you mentioned him earlier, who would sling no, the rock a little and, bit. And again, the, the biggest problem I had both with Coach Shula and with Dan Marino is they were both extremely fan-friendly. And we'd be running late or we'd be in a hurry to get somewhere. Again, and, and I'm talking about you know from point A to point B for a game, and you know fans would want to stop them and they'd want to stop and sign autographs which you know i'm i'm all for but but again if we're if the bus is waiting on us you know sometimes it wasn't it wasn't possible to do and on the other side of it we didn't want to upset the fans so what i wound up doing is uh through our advanced guy whoever our advanced person was we started figuring out different ways to get in and out of hotels without having to go through the public and and usually it was through the kitchen and then we would park the buses the good fellas kind of in a yeah, exactly and we we park in a in a remote area 
park the buses, or at least the bus they were going to be on to try to get them out of there. So, and that's what I was going to say, working with Dan had to be quite an experience. And I imagine that you and Dan had your own, uh, I don't want to say run-ins because you guys worked together and closely, but there had to be moments or some stories well, with just... Again, he would, he'd want to sign everything. And I, again, if it was an off-season deal or if it was an appearance he was doing, I was all for it. I actually, actually went on the road with him a couple times when he would do autograph signings. But again, if there was a schedule, you have buses waiting and, and other, other players waiting. One story I'll tell you about Dan. Dan was coming off of his 1993 Achilles. I'm not sure how this happened, but somehow he ran into a guy named Michael Bolton, who was a, a, a band leader. Yeah. And a Bolton, among other things, had this softball team that would go around where he would play. He would have a concert and uh, they would play the local media or whatever. You know, according to Bolton, they'd won a hundred straight games and they were beating teams by 30 or 40 runs. So he asked Dan, he said, uh, I'm coming down to South Florida. I think he had two concerts down here and he wanted to know if Dan could put together a, a team of football players to play him. So Dan came to me with my background, having coached and played slow pitch softball. And I said, yeah, you weren't I'm, scared of Michael Bolton and his well, team. <laughs> I'm thinking it's a band. I'm thinking <laughs> right, it's a right. bunch of, you know, it's a bunch of uh, musicians. Yeah. So uh, we had a one day tryout. The game was going to be played up, up at Yankee stadium in Fort Lauderdale where the, where the Yankees and Orioles trained and uh so we had a one-day tryout and i i kind of culled the team down a couple guys so I you did. made the players come and try the dolphin players had to try out to get well, they on wanted, the if they wanted to play in the game i wasn't going to go out there and get beat right right that wasn't, right, that wasn't right. Deal. i love that the deal was we were going to sell tickets and and split the money up between bolton and dan's foundation and whatever bolton whatever his foundation was but again i wasn't going to go out there and, and and get beat by a bunch of musicians <laughs> so no we did we had a tryout and a couple guys i just told i said you know we're not we're going to go with this other guy so, are we putting any of those guys on the spot? No. <laughs> okay. no. <laughs> so we go out there, we start warming up, and this bus pulls up, and the first three guys that get off the bus, and I say a bus, Bolton's bus pulls in, is a guy named Dave Carroll, who had been a pitcher on a uh, an ASA national slow pitch team that I competed against. We finished second, they finished first. He was the first guy off the bus. Next guy off the bus, a guy named Mike Bolin who was a stud player out of Tennessee. And, and I forgot who the third guy, but it was, it was three guys that had definitely played some big-time softball. The next four guys... I didn't know, but they had to be big time softball player because they were all about six four, three hundred pounds. <laughs> he had some studs. <laughs> the only musician types that were there were Bolton, the manager of the band, and I think one of his drummers. <laughs> Nobody got to get on the field, <laughs> so they're out there taking batting practice. Now, again, this is a ba this is not a uh, three hundred foot fence field. This is a, a baseball stadium. <laughs> These stadium. guys are rocking balls out of the stadium. Wow! And I'm thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me. So anyway, so uh, I got our guys together and told them. I said, but I watched them. I'm defense they weren't going to be that good and i told them i said the way we're going to stay in this game is anything you hit in the gaps just keep running because there's no way these guys are going to throw you out and and that's what we did we, we actually ended up beating them we beat them uh we had like a, a sixth or seventh run last ninth inning we played nine innings instead of seven mm -hmm. we actually beat them now i have to admit i cheated a little bit <laughs> breaking news as as the game was getting ready to start this guy came down behind our dugout and uh he had been a big time softball player here his name was scotty Willissa, and he had played for me i asked him i said you know would you consider a one-day contract with the dolphins <laughs> that's right and he said okay so anyway he he came around and he he ended up being our our designated hitter but oj played uh, irving fryer aaron craver brian you played Cox, in this game yeah, yes yeah. 
Bernie Parmalee. Yes. I mean, the guys we had, I promise you, if they would have played softball for six months, they would have been in the same league with Bolton's guys. I right. mean, it's just a matter of them, you know, getting used to this, the ball, you know, being floating in. Jeff Dellenbach pitched for us, did a great job. And, and like I said, we came back and beat him. The other thing I, I kind of cheated on, and I kind of <laughs> got sold a bill of goods on this, the one guy I took on the team that didn't have to go through the tryouts, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he was one of our better football players. And I was told by another guy on our team that this guy had been a great baseball player up in Ohio coming out. <laughs> y- y'all may be able to figure out who this was. So, so Jukes. I, I, no, no, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no I know OJ. No, no, no. He played at Penn State. You played baseball at Penn State. I did. I did. Got, OJ got drafted, drafted out yeah. of Penn State. Also. Yeah. Now, this yeah. was a, a bigger guy, a skilled player. Right. But, so he comes out there, and he batted uh, three times. He popped up to the catcher. He popped up to the pitcher. And he dribbled one back to the pitcher. And he had told me when the big lefty. Started, he, he batted lefty and threw lefty. That's exactly right. Correct. And we're going to keep this a secret. Have to keep it a secret. <laughs> have to keep it a secret. Anonymity. <laughs> what was that word? Anonymity. After, <laughs> after his third time up, he had told me he had a, a dinner commitment after the game. <laughs> we we're happy. So I told him at this point we were behind about four or five. Might runs. as well head out, right? I <laughs> said you might as well go. We're not going to come back and win this game. And, and we he ended up leaving, which meant one less guy in the batting it's order. A great coaching decision, helped, exactly. Uh, the other thing I got stuck with that I made a move on real quick. John Cicada was kind of an up and coming singer, and he had agreed to sing the national anthem for this. Now, by the way, the stands were packed. There were ten thousand people there. Really? For game. Yeah. For and, a soft, and, uh, slow pitch for a softball, softball charity game. game. It, wow. it was well advertised. Footy advertised it. And, and anyway, Sakata got up. Sakata batted once. He popped up to the catcher. So I told him he was done. He, he had the one time to bat. But my point about all this with Dan is Dan and Troy Vincent. Let's go to dinner with this guy. Dan and Troy Vincent weren't able to play. Dan was coming off his Achilles. Troy was coming ah. off of his uh, a knee. Knee, yep. And so they they just kind of helped out. They coached bases. And in the innings when our team was on the field, people would lean over the dugout and they would sign autographs. And if there was 10,000 people there, Troy and Dan signed 10,000 autographs. I mean, every inning they were, and, and Fort Lauderdale police were big help. They were helping coordinate the people to keep them, you know, orderly. Well, the game's over. We're heading over to the sponsors party, which by the way, Bolton refused to attend. He, he was so mad about losing the game. <laughs> well, the, the it's a loss. big streak. Yeah. It's a big streak. Yeah. hundred games. He wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't attend the post game party, but Poor aside sport. from that, this guy starts <laughs> screaming at Dan, you know, Hey, Dan, Dan, you a hole, you a, and I look back at this guy and this guy's standing there with his kid behind our dugout. So I walked over to the guy. I said, what, what you know, like, like, what's your problem, man? That, well, you know, I, my kid's here. And I said, oh, fine. Dan will be glad. You know, he signed 10,000 autographs. It isn't like, but my point in this being that it, no matter what you do, and again, Dan, OJ, Coach Shula, there's always someone that's going to have something to say that, yeah. that's, you know, that's wrong. And in this case, the guy was, matter of fact, the Fort Lauderdale, one of the officers got so mad at the guy, he wanted to arrest the guy, which, you know, I <laughs> talked him out of, I talked him out of doing that. I'm glad you said that too, because Dan, a lot of people, he has a bad rap about, and it's misunderstood and it's not fair that he doesn't sign autographs. And you know, we've been around him a bunch of times. He's the most approachable, big time, A-list celebrity not, I've ever seen. You know, again, I went one time with Coach Shula up to Pete Rose's restaurant up in, up in Boca. And, uh, you know, Coach Shula went on the radio show, and then we stayed. We had lunch. People came up to the table, and Pete Rose would sign, but he would never look up. He would just sign the thing and his head down. Sounds about Coach right. Coach Shula, every person that came up, and, and Dan was the same way. Dan would engage you in conversation, ask you where you're from, and would sign. So, I, again, I was I was never around Dan when he he was unapproachable. So, slow pitch softball, and I think that Coach Shula should be meeting up with the Pope here any minute now. But we're going to take a quick break for some advertising, try and pay a few bills here, Juice, and we'll be right back with Stu Weinstein. 
Hey, I'm Josh Appel. And I'm Billy O'Rourke. And we are the hosts of Five Reasons Sports Network's Pro Wrestling Podcast, Smark Your Territory, where we bring you the hard-hitting well, wrestling. No, well, not, no, we don't want it. It's not too hard-hitting because you don't want to hurt the other guy. It's more of a dance we're trying to do here. We're trying to keep it. Protect, protect the other guy. Yeah, you want to protect okay, the other so guy. so maybe we'll go more in-depth. Yeah, that's good. That's better. Smark Your Territory, Five Reasons Sports Network's Pro Wrestling Podcast with the most in-depth wrestling talk you'll find. Hey, it's Ethan Skolnick, co-founder of the Five Reasons Sports Network. You may have made it out to one of our two parties we've had so far, both of which were huge successes. Even if the Dolphins and Canes lost, we did one at Texas Roadhouse and one at Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise. This time, we're going to participate. September 12th, 7.30 p.m., that's a Wednesday, we're going to be at Soccer Zone Indoor. That's Miramar Parkway and Flamingo Road in Miramar. It's a great new facility, and we're going to have a field for 90 minutes, air-conditioned, enough for 10 to 12 players to play. Here's all you need to do before you show up. Subscribe to our patron feed. Now, that's on Podbean. So what you'll have to do is download the Podbean app for free on either iTunes or Google Play, depending on whether you are Apple or Android. Then go to Five Reasons Sports, download the Five Reasons Sports flagship, and then pay for Patreon. Now, we have lowered the price from $5 to $3 for just September to get everybody involved there. What will you get? A ton of extra content. We've got content from all the podcasts in our network. We've got fresh commentaries from a lot of local contributors. We've got a couple of new podcasts that we're playing around with. One is called Out for the Count. It's a boxing MMA podcast. And also the War on I-4. That's USF and UCF. So September 12th, Soccer Zone Indoor, 7.30 p.m., and all you need to show us is that you subscribe to the Five Reasons flagship patron feed. And now, back to the episode. You know, Seth, as a player, you know, we always, always, always knew that Stu had our, our back in every every single way. And uh, if you can't push and shove, Stu would push and shove. You know <laughs> what I mean? It. As a matter of fact, I remember you during, you know, during the season, practices are closed to everybody, unless you probably uh, got to be a special invite from coach. You know, the head man, usually only the only time you can bring somebody in. But I remember one time before this guy became, you know, one of the better baseball players ever in, in MLB, A-Rod tried to come through practice one time. And Stu, I mean, a- Alex, Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez tried to come through practice one time. And, you know, I mean, I guess he thought he was a big time, but he was denied. Stu, can you tell us a little bit about the A-Rod story? <laughs> yeah, that again, that kind of, uh, I-, I wish I could have done that over. You know, you have regrets yeah. and everything. <laughs> thing you've done and that's certainly a regret I had what had happened was he was actually invited over through a guy named Charlie Lau Jr. and Charlie Lau Sr. was a catcher in the major leagues that had a career batting average of about 250 but was considered the best batting instructor at the time in the major leagues so through Jeff Cross one of our players he actually got permission to bring Alex Rodriguez and, and Alex's cousin out to practice. And Alex had just gotten drafted. He was the number one draft pick of Major League Baseball. Well, none of this was relayed to me. <laughs> and, and this is, again, this isn't St. Thomas now. This is like, uh, I think it was the first year or the second year up at our new facility. Mm-hmm. So this is in Davy. This is in Davy. And all I see, it's after practice, and I'm getting ready to go out and, and jog with Coach Shula. I see these two young men, you know, young adults walking through the building. So I asked them, you know, what they were doing. And, you know, both of them kind of gave me attitude. Like, who are you to be asking me, asking us what we're doing? Don't you know who this is? Which I didn't. So the <laughs> argument ends up going outside. And while I'm, I'm trying to explain to Alex that if they're going to come back, they're going to have to abide by rules. His, his cousin thinking that I'm going to, I guess, take a swing at him jumps on my back. <laughs> 
Wait, 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 wait. In, in the parking lot. In the parking lot. He as I'm waiting, literally as I'm waiting, jumps on he you. He jumped on my back as I'm waiting for Don Shula to come out the Were front door. Were you in Alex's face? Like, what was going on? No, I, I, well, I mean, we, yeah, it, it gotten, there were some MFs going back and forth, <laughs> but there was never, at any time, there was never any, any talk about any, any kind of a physical confrontation. I just told him, I said, if y'all are going to come back, you, you're going to have to abide by the rules or don't come back. I don't care if you're the number one draft pick or not. So this guy jumps on my back. I, I kind of throw him to the ground and go to the ground with him. Mel Phillips, our defensive backfield coach, former NFL player, and not a man to mess with, he's off to the side smoking a cigarette. <laughs> he thinks Alex Rodriguez is going to jump in, and he doesn't know who Alex Rodriguez is either. <laughs> he comes running over and grabs Alex Rodriguez. Meanwhile, Coach Shula comes walking out, oh. and, he, and he knew exactly who Alex Rodriguez was. So, so Coach walks out, and <laughs> you guys like, are just rumbling. He's like, you know, going, what, you know, what's going on out here? And, and so – you know, finally we got the thing separated and, uh, they <laughs> left. And I think that was a, that was like on a Thursday night. It might have been during training camp, but the next time I saw Alex Rodriguez was after our next game in the player parking lot with Jeff Cross. And you know, we shook hands and, and everything was, you know, everything seemed to be okay. <laughs> now, what about his cousin? Were you going to shake yeah. hands with his cousin? <laughs> the cousin, I've never, I've never seen the cousin since. <laughs> I don't think he wants any party, it sounds like. Hey, the cousins, he's still feeling it. Now, he's, do you see? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. But do you see? A Rod, because then you know he's a huge fan of the Dolphins, and he you know wears the the number thirteen, right? He's I've, a big Marino fan. Have you seen him? I've seen him after seen he him becomes the, the two hundred million dollar guy. I've seen him on the field a couple times, and but never, no, I've never gone up to him and said, "Hey, you remember what happened in nineteen ninety three? And he hasn't come to you <laughs> no, either. He apparently, hasn't come to me either. I, I did see him though. I did see him get into it with the. Uh, I think it was Jason Veritek, the uh, catcher from the Red Sox, <laughs> and you know, based on that, I felt pretty good about the fact if he would have jumped in. The, the, but, but let me tell you another story that's. <laughs> That's not as well known. About two months later, this is totally closed practice. Michael Moore shows up at practice. The boxer. The boxer. Again, a guest former of... Former heavyweight uh, champion of the world. Former heavyweight yeah. champion of the world. Again, a guest of, of Charlie Lau Jr. And, and again, with no letting me know he's going to be out there. And again, the policy was dur during the closed practices, if, if you were approved by Coach Shula, you were allowed to come out. And apparently... This wasn't even run by Coach Shula. And, and anyway, so Moore is over in the, in the VIP section. And I don't, again, I have no idea who he is <laughs> and, and probably should have. I mean, growing up, I was a big boxing fan. I could have probably told you guys that, that weren't even ranked heavyweights. I probably could have told you who they were. But at this point, I really wasn't following boxing. Anyway, this guy starts walking on the field. So I went over to confront him to see, you know, to see who he was and you give him the hey pal. Well, hey pal. <laughs> and, and this becomes confrontational immediately because he doesn't know that he, he thinks I'm being disrespectful to him. Sure. He kind of, kind of squares off. And I figured, you know, we're about the same size. I, I'm probably way more than he did, but I'm thinking, you know, if push comes to shove, I can probably handle this guy, which would have been a, a catastrophic mistake. Thank goodness on my it part. didn't. Again. Cooler heads prevailed, and we ended up shaking hands, and and uh, he, you know he ended up watching practice. Oh man, I would I let him I would let him watch it too. I, I had a little run in with Mike's entourage one time, and Mike actually kept me from getting beat up myself one time down in the Keys. So I, I like Michael Moore as well. I think we're all we're all good with Michael yeah. Moore. He's a good dude, but yeah. I don't know if I like that right hand. No I mean, man, oh man, he's. Big hand. Well, boy. like I said, I, that would handle that one wouldn't have wouldn't have worked out too well for me because uh, <laughs> my, my my deal with the with these scuffles like with Rodriguez is.
Bruce's cousin, was to try to get the guy on the ground. I, I seemed to do better once the guy. You're a ground and ground. pound kind of guy. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't much for the boxing, and certainly not with a. a a professional boxer. <laughs> right. a heavyweight champion, a heavyweight champion of, of the, world. the world. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Now, I recall, Stu, another scuffle, a much less formidable opponent that you had. But this was, and you'll have to fill in the blanks, but I remember this was in a team hotel, and there were some guys that were uh, being, first of all, guys that shouldn't have been there at all, but not only were they there where they were, they shouldn't have been, but they were creating a little bit of a ruckus and then they ran into you. Well, that was Jimmy's first year. We went from staying at Rolling Hills to Bonaventure. And the deal at Bonaventure was they would give us a building. I think there was nine buildings out there. And they would give us a building. I think the building we had was was building five. So we had BSO out there. I, I don't think I had any Leos at that point working the night for the home games. They would travel with us, but they weren't working the home games. But we did have a BSO deputy out there. And I'm getting ready to check. The, but by the way, we're, we're getting ready to play the Cowboys the next day, which, you know, obviously is a big game for Jimmy. So I'm getting ready to check the rooms. Oh, and another thing, this is a, I think a week to the day before my 50th birthday. So it was like October, whatever, 1996. My birthday is November 1st. So I'm getting ready to check the rooms and I, I go out of my room and I see this guy probably about 6'2", 6'3", 300 pounds with an attractive female and, and they're starting to walk up the stairs. So I stopped the guy and I said, hey man, I said, uh, I think you're in the wrong building. This building is for the Miami Dolphins. And the first word out of the guy's mouth was I am a Miami Dolphin. I'm uh, I'm effing Larry Izzo, <laughs> which obviously I knew he wasn't Larry Izzo, one of our players. So I said to the guy, "Look, man, you're of not, all people, you picked you're, Izzo. Right, right. You're not Larry Izzo. You need to go wherever you're supposed to be. You're not in this building, and and you need to move along." He hands a drink. He had a drink in his hand. He hands a drink to his girlfriend, and he says to him, "Listen, I'm apparently I'm going to have to kick this guy's ass. Hold the drink for me." Now, as we're talking, guys are coming out of the room. So. <laughs> There was no chance of me getting out of this thing diplomatically. Right. I mean, it was either going to tell the guy either move along, gut or, check time or, at or, that point, or do what you got to do. What he got to do is he he rushed me, and fortunately the guy was the guy was drunk. I mean, he was obviously inebriated. So I got a hold of him, got him on the ground. Hit him. Guys told me I hit him like 10 times. Yeah, that's the story. I I, that's what I, I heard. I heard the I, next I, day. That's what Lamar Thomas told times. me. Man. I, hit him, <laughs> I hit him like two or three times. I had him totally immobilized and told him, I said, and she's screaming, by the way, you know, to get off him. I told him, I said, I'm going to let you up, but you need to move along. You're not supposed to be in this building. And by the way, as I'm doing this, I'm looking around. There's no, the BSO deputy is nowhere to be found. Nowhere seen. to be oh, found. Man. But yet, Zach and LT <laughs> and all these guys. Well, any, anybody on that ground floor, uh, Irving Spikes was still with us. He was, uh, anybody on that ground floor was coming out of the room. Anyway, so, so the guy gets up, obviously embarrassed in front of his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, he just and, and, and she tells him, well, you know, you're not going to let him get away with that, are you? So he rushes me again. <laughs> he comes back for more? Come this on. Time, this time I grabbed him and ran him into the wall. And he went down, and again, guy said I hit him and kicked him. I might have hit him a couple more times. He was done at that point. Yeah, clearly. Now I look up, and the BSO deputy is screeching up in his car, jumps out, grabs the guy, handcuffs him, throws him in the back of the car. Well, the hotel shows up. Hotel personnel show up. Come to find out, they'd made a mistake, and he did have a room. Oh, no. <laughs> he was in his up own hotel. Fourth, yeah, he was going up to his room. So with that in mind... To avoid a lawsuit with the hotel, I asked the deputy to release him, told the guy, look, if you'll go up to your room and, and don't make any noise, and you know, because I'm checking the rooms now. We'll get you and, some field passes? Well, no, no, <laughs> no, I, didn't, no, I, didn't, no. I, didn't, I didn't go that far, but I said, just if, you, if you'll quiet down 
and and go, which he did. He ended up he was meek as a lamb, and then I bet the next day he was actually part of a group that had come in for the game, like a travel group. He was a fan, and the next day I found out that he, you know, he showed up. He had some bruises on his face, <laughs> and he showed up. And his story was to the other people in the group that I, along with either a player or another security type. Like two on one them. Right. Sure. That's the story, right? Jumped him. He had to tell it that way. That is, I can't believe he came back for more, but my favorite part, and I didn't know this part, <laughs> that he actually had a room in there. He, the, he did room. have a room in our building. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, though? If he had just said, hey, you know what? I don't know what the mix up is. I have a key here, but he said he right. was Larry Izzo. That's he, where he got it. That's what if happened. He, if he'd have shown me his key, I would have said, fine, you, you right. know, just go up to your room. But like I said, when, when he handed the, when he handed the drink to the girlfriend, and and kind of put me in a situation where you know if you're if you're in charge of security, it's one thing to get your ass kicked. I right. mean, and believe me, growing up down here, that happened to me plenty of times. <laughs> but it's another thing to back down. And, and right. you know, I, again, the guy just put me in a situation where with, with players coming out. And by the way, at that point, I'd had a pretty good relationship with Jimmy Johnson. I mean, you know, we'd gotten along well. He kept me, I and mean, he kept me on. Sure. And but after that, I basically walked on water with him. I can only he, imagine. He heard the story the next day. <laughs> one of the first guys out of his room was Kevin O'Neill who was also on the ground floor. And he told Jimmy that story the next day, you know, followed by the players. I, I could do no wrong. Right. With that's what's up right there. Jimmy loved that stuff. Yeah, that's great. He man. really did. You're, I, I, that's so funny because I could see that. And he, he also loved boxing and all those things. Oh, yeah. yeah remember fact, Don King called him on the field yeah. during practice? Well, and he, he took us. I don't know if you remember this, OJ, but he took us. Uh, we opened up, beat the Patriots at home. I do remember. And then exactly. we had a Sunday night game out in Arizona week two. And we went out a day early. Yep. And, and to kind of get the guys together and, and you, you might, were you traveling then, Seth? If you were anyway, we, we went to a, uh, we went to a bowling alley and watched a fight. There was right. a, Mike Tyson uh, fight. Mike, Mike Tyson yep. fight. We watched yeah. Mike Tyson. He had it pumped it in. It wasn't Michael Moore, was it? No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about it, too. You, you know, you came in with Shula like I did. And then, of course, you went to Jimmy, who you just talked about and, and wants that. I mean, the transition between coach to coach. I mean, that you, you've seen a lot and heard a lot uh, with some of these coaches, man. I mean, how was the transition from, from Shula to Jimmy to Wands and so on and well, so forth. Unfortunately, the only real major transition was with Coach Shula because I'd worked with him for 11 years when I worked for NFL Security and then 11 years with the Dolphins. So, you know, tra a change from him to Jimmy was was major. But unfortunately, after that, it's been every three or four years. And, and so, I mean, yes, hopefully this group is going to be here until, like I said, Drew has 33 and a half years because, you know, it, people don't realize, you know, they see these coaches or, or they see players and, and they're making all this money and they, they don't realize... Every, Every time you uproot a coaching staff or a personnel staff, you're, you're uprooting families. And, and these guys have to move. I mean, a lot of them have kids that are school-age kids. I mean, to be honest with you, growing up down here, if, if my father would, my, my father owned his own business, but say he'd have worked in professional football or professional or whatever. And my junior year of high school, you know, I came home and he announced to me that he had gotten a, a job up in Milwaukee. I would have told him, you know, good luck up there and would have stayed <laughs> with one of my buddies. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to leave. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and that's the tough part. And of course, you know, the, you know, the finality of what happened with Tony Sperano, who mm. obviously was one of my favorite coaches. And, you know, just a, besides, a, in my opinion, besides a great coach, a great guy, I mean, that even, you know, more so, I mean, you just, like I say, you, you become, they become like your extended family. There had to be, and you're right. And you mentioned Coach Sperano and, and how close he got. And that, that announcement, I think also just how young, right? The connection people had to him and just how young he was and his passing was, was truly tragic. But on, 
the uh, on, on the lighter side of things, when you do mention this transition, and, and there's nothing light about guys getting fired and new guys coming in, but there had to be each coach had to have their own little idiosyncrasy, and you know, and you had to know what those things were and what they liked, and and something you know, we talked about something earlier when you first got here that hey, if this had been Jimmy, he would have loved it, but Dave didn't like that. You know, we were talking about another story. There had to be those little things that you had to learn, and how quickly did you have to pick those things up? Well, that's a good question. In in a couple cases, in in Jimmy's case, uh, I leaned on Kevin O'Neill. You know, Kevin was hired along with Jimmy. And of course, Kevin had been with Coach Johnson, both at UM and at Dallas. So I kind of picked up from Kevin, you know. He was far more than just a trainer. Oh, no, no. Kevin was, I I would say in the organization, uh, when besides besides Wayne Heisinger and Jimmy, I would say Kevin probably had as much juice and, well, not to, (laughs) but he he probably had as much juice in the organization as anybody. With Dave Wanstead, Dave actually worked there for a year as Jimmy's, uh, I guess he was the assistant head coach. And so I kind of got to know Dave a year before he took over. When Dave left, I leaned on Jimmy Sexton, who was uh, Nick Saban's agent. And I'd worked with Jimmy with several of his players and was able to kind of get a feel for Nick before before he got here. With Cam Cameron, it was Norv Turner. They had, they had worked together out in San Diego. Well, Jim Bates actually took over for Dave the last part of the season. But again, you know, Jim had been He'd part been of the there. staff, so sure. I, I knew mm-hmm. him. And then with, with Tony Sperano, again, it, Jimmy Sexton was his agent, so I kind of got a feel for him and also for Bill Parcells, who Jimmy also represented. And then when Coach Sperano left, Todd Bowles took over. But again, I'd worked with him for two or three years. Mm-hmm. With Joe Philbin, Trace Armstrong was his agent. So I kind of leaned on Trace. And then, like I said, with Adam Gase, even though Jimmy Sexton represented him, I, at that point, you know, Drew was coming on board and, and you know, my involvement with Coach Gase was to see him in the hallway and, you know, ask him how he's doing. So it was find that guy who's their right-hand guy. Yeah, yeah, just like I think you do with anything, with any any job. If, if a CEO's coming in, you know, you want to make sure, if you know, you want to stick around, you want to make sure you know what he or she likes or, or dislikes. A little intel, as you a like to call intel, it. Right? Get, get a little right. intel, A little intel. Now, you mentioned Nick Saban. Uh, Nick has a, a, a notorious reputation for being very hard on his staff, on his coaches. Coaches. Even Zach, who was in, in the fish tank, t- and we talked about Zach's run-ins with Nick, but he said he was really harder on the coaches than he was the players. What was your interaction with Nick? My interaction with him was great. He liked security. He wanted security. Uh, in fact, uh, during his time, I actually increased the number of Leos that, that would travel with us uh, because, you know, Nick Nick felt they were, you know, going to help us win. Actually, Nick away from the building was a different Nick. I mean, we, we'd go, once we pulled out of the parking lot, you know, we would talk, uh, you know, both of us grew up playing baseball. You know, both had a, a good feel for the history of football. So we would, you know, basically, uh, you know, reflect about things that, that had nothing to do with the Miami Dolphins. With his coaches, uh, I'll tell you, a quick story we uh, his last year we had we had gotten off to a horrible start and i think we were at one two or three games there were four games and we were one game out of being back to 500 and we're going to play the jacksonville jaguars at home and for whatever reason pre-game nick brought the coaches into this area of the locker room and he wasn't satisfied with the way practice had gone all week and just you could hear him all over the locker room just you know just ripping into him but again that's you know he always paid his coaches more highest paid staff i'll be honest with you once you work for nick you didn't have to be a superstar player or a superstar coach. He was there for you. He, he would always be there for you if needed. We, he'd get calls and, and I'd get them where, you know, some guy he coached back at Kent State or, or played with back at Kent State that needed some help from him. And, you know, Nick was there. I mean, Nick, Nick would help him. And, and let me tell another story which has been told on, you know, through the media, which is totally not true. We had an offensive lineman. I'm not sure if this was year one or year two. We had an offensive lineman who, because he was trying to lose weight, wasn't eating and during practice went down. I mean, when he went down, he was laying on the floor and 
in, in the kind of the entrance to the locker room. Oh, this is the Geno James this story. This is the Geno James story. And Nick was accused of having walked in and stepped over the guy and kept going. And that's totally not true. I was with Nick. Came in. He did lean over the guy to see how he was doing. The trainers, of course, were, were administering what they were trying to administer to revive him. He actually had passed out. And without even changing, we jumped in Nick's car, drove to Broward General Hospital, and got there at the same time. They actually, I think they helicoptered Gino over there, and we stayed there with him and his family until the evening. I mean, Nick missed a couple of meetings, and, and so, I mean, this thing about him not caring was, was totally not true. Now, did that kind of stuff bother him, that if that perception was out there? Because for, just, you know, from my perception, and it's interesting because JT and Nick maybe had the best relationship out of anybody down here. I mean, and I always tell JT, you're the only guy in <laughs> South Florida who likes Nick Saban. Apparently, Stu does as well. Yeah. So there's two of you. Uh, but, um, you know, the perception is like he just doesn't care. He's going to win football games. And he's going to go back to Terry, and he's going to have his kind of insulated life. But so was he bothered if the if there was this narrative out there that he was just this evil genius that would step over a guy who was uh, potentially on his deathbed. I would say if Nick would have stayed here and that story would have surfaced, because it didn't surface till he left, I would say Nick would have addressed it immediately. I, I think, yes, it would have bothered Well, he him. definitely would call the media to the carpet. That's for sure. <laughs> he, well, the guy, that, the guy that probably suffered more than anyone under Nick's two years was Harvey Green. <laughs> and I mean, Harvey that, swears Harvey, by him. Harvey, which is mind-blowing. Harvey, and again, as you know from being in the media, and OJ, you know from, from playing, I mean, all Harvey does is is try to help the coach be the best he can be. Correct. And he would get ripped for, again, for <laughs> things that Harvey had nothing to do with. Somebody the, had to the, take the, the fall. The only, thing, the only thing I would say about Nick, and I think if he had to do over again, he would have done it differently, is... is uh, take Drew Brees? It, well, that, that, was <laughs> so, not, oh, okay, sorry. that was not his fault. That was somebody else that Correct. told him that Drew Brees' shoulder wasn't going to ever be what it was before, which we all know yeah, it was isn't better. the case. And if you want to go back four or five years, it's like Dave Wonset being told that Drew Brees was too short right. to play in the NFL. And, and by the way, that ring that I've been searching for, yeah. if Drew Brees would have got her, I promise <laughs> you, Probably be wearing I'd, it. I'd have a Could ring. Could have retired and, 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 and a so few years OJ, ago. Right. And so would you, Seth, because <laughs> you guys were there then. But I think uh, I think it did bother Nick. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, he probably should have had no comment on the fact he was leaving. And, and then, you know, it, I think it wouldn't have looked as bad as opposed to saying, I'm not going to be the coach, I'm going to be the coach here, and then going ahead and leaving. Yeah, Stu, before we let you go, I, we got to talk about Seth's boss real quick. You know, we know who that is. There's a, there's a game that I, I My took My current to the, boss, not current, the Harvey Green Your current story. boss, yeah, yeah. There's a game I, I took to the Dolphins called Fast Football. And oh. I remember you used to, used to referee <laughs> his face, some, some of those games. Tell me some of the guys that gave you the biggest headache out there by, came to Fast by Football. By far, the two biggest complainers were Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas. <laughs> To the point where John Gamble, who was our strength coach at the time, he used to put the teams together, and he somehow sucked me into refereeing. <laughs> now, and I was a little more mobile. I wasn't using a cane back then, and, and but it didn't matter. I mean, it, it was a, a no-win situation. Fast football is like keep away. And, and you guys used it as a, it was a conditioning. It was conditioning too. Yeah, but, it was but, great. but it was a fun it way to compete. Well, it's yeah. conditioning, but anytime you're talking about athletes, whether they're professional, a mediocre high school player like myself, or some guy that plays Little League, and that's the highest level they get they want to compete oh and these so, guys so these were these were competitive games what john would do he would break the teams down by position so he would put jason in with the defensive lineman <laughs> which is ludicrous right yeah, timbo and jt okay that's fair. <laughs> jason taylor jason taylor had as much athleticism as the best skilled player on our football team and so 
Right off the bat, you have a mismatch. You know, have a, a defensive lineman trying to cover Jason Taylor, which was ridiculous. <laughs> then on top of that, when things didn't go Jason's way or, or didn't go Zach's way, they'd be in my face screaming at me. You know, and, and actually, uh, uh, Zach one time didn't talk to me for about three days because... <laughs> Wait, he carried it beyond yeah, the, the game? The, the last play of the game, Zach's team had taken a lead over Jason's team. And the last play of the game, they threw this Hail Mary pass to Jason, which, again, either Tim Bowens or Daryl Gardner... <laughs> Right, right. Trace Armstrong trying to cover him. 15 yards behind and he, him. And he jumped up and, and made the play. But there was some there was some uh, argument whether or not Zach had touched the guy who was throwing the ball. Oh, so, that's right. Anyway, I, I ruled it that the guy had... You, you know, ruled it a touchdown. I ruled it a touchdown. And from then on, starting the next year, from then on, I told John, I said, if they're not on the same team, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great, by the right? way, by the way, <laughs> let me say this. There was one lineman that could have matched up with Jason Taylor. Yes, we had a, a guard named Mark Dixon. Ooh, there he is. Here, came in here as a, uh, actually, he was an All-American at uh, Virginia Tech, I believe. Virginia. Virginia. Uh, Virginia, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. at Virginia. And his senior year, I think he'd gotten hurt lifting weights, and he didn't get drafted. And I think he ended up going to Canada for a couple of years, and much like Cam White. And uh, we found him up there and brought him in. And believe it or not, I, I don't know if you all know this or not, but uh, right before camp started, we signed a guy, and we're going to cut him before camp even started. You were going to cut Mark. Cut Mark. Wow. And Bob Ackles, who was in charge of personnel, he he kind of knew the Canadian League because he had been up there. BC Lions legend, and right? he talked Jimmy into not cutting Mark. And Mark ended up, I mean, I don't know if Mark ever made the Pro Bowl here, but Mark was one hell of a football player. And a hell of an athlete. He's he, a great basketball, great basketball player right basketball out here, too. And he was, the, he was the one guy you could actually match up on. Now, you weren't going to shut him out. Right. But at least it, it would be fairly competitive. That's Mark's it. name has come up multiple times on the podcast because he is by far, and we, Seth and I talk about one of the best athletes. Oh, he big guy, small guy, doesn't matter that we've ever seen. Well, I wasn't honored for this, but supposedly, and, and OJ can verify this, they were matched up. Jason and Mark were matched up against each other in basketball. Right out here. And, and to the point where Jason <laughs> actually asked about putting Mark on his team. Right. He wanted to play on the same team. I was like, you're out which, of your mind. Which, which, by the way, that was another quick story on Nick Saban. But before we go, he would organize a staff basketball game at lunch during the offseason. And if uh, you weren't on his team and say you played a half and you had like 10 points, the second half, he would trade it. switch it up. He'd be on the team, yeah. <laughs> that does not seem fair, but I guess that's, Well, you know, when you're the boss. That's that's right. It wasn't about being fair. Exactly. Well, Stu, we, I, I feel like we could probably do two or three more podcasts and would I'll, love to I'll invite you to back, come back. I'll be glad to come back. It was so great to have you in here. Uh, we always say, we wish you could write a book. We understand why you can't. Yeah. But we wish you could write a book about all the stories that you've got. But so great of you. During your retirement, you could be hanging out with Renee right now, but you're here in the tank. Uh, we truly appreciate you coming well, in. Call me back anytime. I'll be glad to come back. It's great reflecting with both of you. Thanks for diving in, Stu. We appreciate you. You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, Seth. OJ, Juice, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank, go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank, it's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank, rocking with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank, uh, uh-uh. Okay, this one for them diehards. 
celebrate big or cry hard Leave it all on the field, we gon' try hard Old school, a new school, mix it in Feeling like we up close when we listening Dolphins tales, in Miami is the deep end We vibing with our favorite players, no secret We get with Seth and McDuffie Bringing up stories we never heard to the public Bet we love it, Dolphins fans never budget We loyal to the team, whether happy or we upset We be like, what's next? Don't switch the subject You know it's all about them fans And if you ready for that water, time to dive in Don't switch the subject you know it's all about them fins And if you down with Dolphins Nation, time to dive in Don't switch the subject, you know it's all about them fins You looking at that fish tank, it's time to dive in Go get your aqua orange, yeah, it's time to dive up in that fish tank It's only legendary talking when you dive up in that fish tank Rapping with OJ and Seth when you dive up in that fish tank Don't ever add a talk, you better never be